welcome to the podcast. We have another installment of our more personal and family stories. Today we are welcoming an adult that was a child with uh, what we can call an invisible disability, which a lot of our of our emotionally intense kids might have. And she shares her story as a child, um, how it was in school and what she loved that her parents did for her and what she suggests other parents do. So we're receiving Michelle Steiner. Um, she lives with an invisible disability. She has dyscalculia, a math learning disability, limited and dexterity and visual perception issues. So more than one invisible disability. Um, and it has made things such as math and driving impossible. Uh, she was diagnosed a young child in kindergarten and living with one has become a way of life and has had to learn different way to learn and live. She has article published in many uh, online blog and magazine and photos of hers are also featured in Word Gathering and Independent and Work Ready. She works as a paraeducator in a school with students with disability in Pennsylvania, where she lives with her husband and two cats. So what, let's welcome Michelle over on the podcast. Welcome to Parenting the Intensity, where we'll talk all about how we can drop the general parenting advice that doesn't work with our emotionally intense kids anyway, and let go of the unrealistic expectations society puts on us as parents. Together, we'll find solutions and ideas that work for you and your kids. Chances are, deep down, you know what they need. But you need a little encouragement to keep going on harder days and permission to do things differently and help you fully trust that you already are a wonderful parent to your exceptional but challenging kids. Do you read all the things, listen to all the things, take all the courses, and you know a whole lot of things about parenting, but you struggle to actually apply them in your real life? Then you're in luck. I just started the Parenting the Intensity community, which is a uh, monthly group support for parents of emotionally intense kids. And the goal is exactly that, to take all the information you learn from the podcast and from all the other sources and adapt them so that it work for your child and your family, your reality, because things can work, but not always the same way for everybody. So the same thing might need to be adapted to work for you. And sometimes it's, it's hard to sort through everything to choose the right things that so that you can really enjoy your life and your kids, not always being afraid of the next outburst. You can join by clicking on the link uh, in the show notes or on the website. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you today. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I certainly appreciate that. So um, I've introduced you a little bit in the intro, but I would like for you to share a bit more of why you do what you do with um, the listeners. The reason I love to work as a paraeducator and a disability writer is because of my own experience with having a learning disability. 
And a lot of times I feel that I get that chance to go into the classroom or even with writing an article. And I get that time to be able to connect with other people that have disabilities and to be able to share my experience and to also listen to the experiences of other people and just have that connection. Yeah. And I think that's very important to be able as a child or as a parent to be able to relate to other people Mm -hmm. that live something similar because lots of people don't necessarily get it. Um, And since we address disability and it's not necessarily something um, everyone that listening is um, like knowledgeable, like know really what that means. I would love. and, And also because it's not not everybody has the same definition of what a disability is. I would love to know what what's yours. What how do you define a disability? I have a learning disability. I have dyscalculia, which is a math learning disability, and I also have limited hand dexterity in both of my hands and visual perception. And for me, uh, having a disability means that I struggle with a lot of math. I have a difficulty with understanding how numbers work, despite many repeated uh, (laughs) interventions. And I also, my hands, it can be difficult for me to unlock uh, doors and things can fall out of my hands very easily. And I have terrible handwriting and also my visual perception is affected. So, and it's in my brain, not in my eyes. So I'm not able to drive and I confuse my right from my left, but everybody that that has a disability is going to have a different experience, even if they do have a learning disability or if they have limited hand dexterity, everybody has a different experience and Mm -hmm. different people have different ways that they view them. And I once didn't view it in a very positive way. I can remember thinking, oh, if I just didn't have this disability, my life would be perfect. Mm -hmm. But little did I know that having this was going to not only be something that was going to be a gift for myself, but also for a lot of other people. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I love that. It's a journey, I think, from learning that you have a disability to accepting it as what it is and then turning it into strength in some in some way. And that doesn't mean it's not there anymore because mm-hmm. most disabilities just don't disappear. But lots of the time it's how we see them and how we adapt and how we can get accommodations so they don't limit us as much um, because they can be more or less limited um, depending on the context we're in. It, it, exactly. Yeah, as long as I... I find it more empowering to think of the things that I do, the things that I can do rather than to dwell on what I can't do. Yeah, true. Um, definitely. And so I would love to know, like you, you shared with me that you learn really young, that you had a disability. Um, and I just want to address because lots of people listening don't necessarily have one for their children. Um, but it's not just disability. I think every child who's struggling in some way, um, even if we don't know what's happening, there's something happening. And mm-hmm. not knowing what's happening, it can be very hard for the parents and for their child because the child is aware that they're different. Um, and learning that we have, like there's an explanation for why we're different sometimes can be like it, it can be mixed feelings, but <laughs> it can also be validating and uh, re- get some guilt out of like elevate some of the guilt uh, for their parents anyway. So I love to to know what 
was your experience as a child learning about uh, the fact that you had a disability or more than one? Right, exactly. I was diagnosed with having a learning disability when I was in kindergarten, and that was an umbrella term at that time. They didn't have a specific diagnosis of dyscalculia or the limited hand dexterity. I didn't find that out until I was an adult. Uh, we knew that I struggled with visual perception uh, along with the, with the disability. Um, and I can remember my parents were always very open and very honest about my disability. They explained to me that I had a learning disability and I learned differently and that I was smart. And they really assured me of that. And they didn't give up on me. And from the time I was a really young child, they advocated for me. And when I got to hear what my disability was, it took some time, but uh, I needed to know what what that information was. It gave me the information with that. Sorry, my daughter just woke up. (laughs) So we got interrupted by (laughs) my youngest. Um, But you were saying that your parents were very open and supportive of the disability from the get-go, basically. Yes, they were. They explained to me in age-appropriate, simple terms that I had a learning disability and that I learned differently. And when I heard that information, that it was a process, but hearing it helped because a lot of my peers were telling me I wasn't smart. Mm. My parents really assured me that I was and I learned differently. Mm -hmm. And having that validation and having that advocacy really helped me a lot. Yeah, it's the first step of advocacy, basically. It's just recognizing that it's not. And it, even if like it's a, a developmental delay, for example, which mm-hmm. affects uh, intelligence, like it's just being different. It's not exactly. bad. And, and But it's so easy to think that we're, we're bad or that we're not like uh, we right. should be, basically, because that like we're expected to be. And we, I think kids that, are a bit different will almost always and if it's not always get bad comments and negative comments so it's very nice that your parents were um, that accepting and positive from the start because it can leave some um, some scars when it's not the case definitely yes and would you say that uh, other than your parents, did you get other, other support around you or there was other more negative comments? And like, Yes, I did have support from our teaching staff. Most of the, my teachers were very understanding and caring. Uh, shortly after my diagnosis, I began kindergarten. I had to repeat that in a new school. And I also had specialty instruction as well. Okay. And I would... We would have classes where I would learn how to read. We attempted to learn how to do math, uh, worked on tying my shoes, worked on handwriting. It was I, My handwriting is still not that wonderful. <laughs> and, uh, I also repeat, went to kindergarten in the afternoon uh, with my, my peers in that class. And I can remember I was really frustrated in the beginning, though. It was, Mm. I just wanted to learn like everybody else and just be like everybody else. Yeah. And somehow the, a lot of those uh, specialty instruction and the supports were helping me. And I was able to be in more regular ed classes and I still had the supports. I had my test read aloud to me and I also had extended time on tests as well. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And I'm guessing that was not as common as it is today, but you didn't get like a computer for writing. In no. no. In fact, I like, was just thinking today of all of our students, they have Chromebooks. Yeah. And yeah. I was in like students keyboard. that struggle with handwriting today. Yeah. We would not push that far. We would give a computer probably. Right. Now, when I did learn how to type, I think I was in 10th grade. It took me a full year to learn how to yeah. type, not just one semester. But once I did, that opened up my world because For people sure. could read what I was saying. <laughs> and now we teach it at a younger age. And I think that's yeah. wonderful. And I get to encourage uh, the sixth graders that I work with that, okay, typing is really important and it's okay. I mean, it's hard mm -hmm. at first, but you'll, you'll, you'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a measure that we didn't add like a few years back because The computers were not as accessible as they are. Like I remember when I was in school, there was one very old computer in the classroom. Like <laughs> yeah. that's it. There was no like laptop for every child that was struggling. That was not a thing. <laughs> right. No, it wasn't. And now we've come so far with giving our students those tools. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, yes. and when you talk about handwriting, I had a lot of people that would tell me, uh, that they I had teachers who didn't understand I had mm -hmm. one that put a W on my report card indicating weakness in second grade knowing I had Aww. a disability and I can also remember I had a learning support teacher that uh, she couldn't understand why my handwriting was so bad and I, ha I had a peer in the class and he said he knew I wanted to be a writer and he goes well if you're going to be a writer uh, you have to learn how to write neatly And I've never had an editor that has requested a handwritten <laughs> manuscript. Thank goodness. <laughs> no, and I would say like lots of really known author had a really bad penmanship. So I don't think that's a requirement at all. But of yeah, course, no. child, children can definitely say any sort of things. It's just it's coming from a children is just. It's a, at right. some point it's cute it's it can it can hurt for sure but it's kind of cute coming from a teacher it's not like it yeah that, that's that's like and like I of course they learn more now I would say now that mm -hmm. they used to but still it's something that is some teachers still not know a lot about and I know it's not a lot in their like their training most of the time so it's hard for them sometimes to understand and when you don't don't really understand a disability it's really hard to mm -hmm. see all the impact that it can have so Definitely. yeah <laughs> and it, it's interesting that you're saying well like it's those little things like that that they stay with with you as a child like it it, it marks in some ways like it's it's kind of sad but that's some at the same time it's great because you've come so far now but um I think it's important to remember and to take like it's That and to try not to say those things, and of course, we don't control what's happening at school most of the time, but mm -hmm. at home, like, and it's sometimes it's very hard when a child is like just um crying and like having a meltdown, but mm -hmm. struggling with math, struggling with and writing, it can definitely trigger really big emotion because you want and you know and you, you know what you should be able to do, but you cannot do it, yeah. it's so frustrating. <laughs> And that can be very triggering for lots of kids and they can have really big emotion tied to that. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, as loving and supportive my parents were, we had a lot of tearful homework sessions, especially yeah. whenever I was very young and mm -hmm. I was struggling. School was hard for me when I was younger. I think a lot of it was I didn't understand 
how my learning disability worked Mm -hmm. and what was going to work for me with learning. But my parents, they still uh, didn't give up on me. We worked and they also had me go to school, even if they knew I was, we studied for a test and they knew I wasn't going to do very well. Mm -hmm. I still had to go to school and I had to try my best. And I think that that's when I started to build a lot of the resilience for that. And then I started, then it got a lot easier for me once I figured out uh, what what worked best for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's the thing to know what the disability mm-hmm. is, but it's another one to you know, learn the solution and yeah. the, the things that, and it's not because you have a diagnosis of something that suddenly right. everything is very clear and easy. Like for some people, mm-hmm. some tips will and tricks will work, but won't work for the, someone else that has the same disability. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really important. And so you, you you were like globally seems that you were well supported by your parents, but in general by the school. Yes. Um, with some exception. Would you say that um there was things that you wish you had as support? Maybe some things that you see now in class that kids can get that didn't existed, or anything else that you wish you what you're doing now that you wish you were you add or something else that you. Right. I think one of the things I really wish is having that disability representation because I, a lot of the students in my uh, class, my learning support class, they struggle more with reading and I didn't know anybody that had a st- struggle with math the way that I did. So I kind of felt isolated even with them mm-hmm. and I was bullied with them as well, along with my regular ed peers and I also think it's important. I also wish I had a mentoring program where I could be with college students that had learning disabilities to understand mm-hmm. that. Because I can remember when I wanted to go to college, I had a learning support teacher that said, you can't, uh, with your learning disability, you can't go. Uh, oh. Why don't you go to a vo- vocational training school? Mm-hmm. And I really wish they would have offered an early childhood program or something with education. And then I probably would have went to uh, that, but mm-hmm. they didn't, they don't offer that. But then I had the one supportive teacher that told me that I could do college. She was a student teacher and she said that I knew how to study and that I could do that. And that there was people at college that had learning disabilities at her school. And I was just amazed. And I just Mm. wish I would have had that chance to talk with a lot of people that had them before I went off to college myself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's possible, even if Mm -hmm. you, you have some uh, limitation in some aspects to know that it's possible to do anything you want. Basically, it's just to adapt what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. But yeah, that's true. And it it's also talked to like how important some people are in our in our life too. Like some people will have a very big impact um, mm-hmm. in the way that um yeah, like she kind of gave you permission basically to go to yeah. college. <laughs> yeah, she did. She gave me that permission. And luckily I was able to connect with some other agencies. Uh, in the United States to help to do some funding. And some, when it got really difficult, sometimes that's the voice that I heard when I was at school and it was really hard. Mm-hmm. Or I had a psychiatrist that told me I couldn't do college uh, beyond universe, beyond community college. And mm-hmm. just sometimes that was the voice I heard. And that just helped me to get through that and to be able to go to university and graduate. And Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like I think 
also now it's getting easier too because there's mm -hmm. more and more accommodation for people with disabilities but it was not like it, just a few years back was not as common as it's becoming slowly like yes <laughs> <laughs> it's still a long road but uh it's it, it's still useful so you would say like what is and and would you say general or your specific disability like meeting people that had something specific like related to what you add would be most helpful yes i have met a lot of uh, people basically online with having uh, my type of disability and i think that's really comforting when you get that chance to connect with somebody else that struggles with that because you don't feel like you're the only one that has that mm -hmm. and i also get that chance too with my writing I've had a lot of people that have uh, contacted me and said, that's, that's my story, or that's what I struggle with. And I thought I was the only one who, who had that. And I think it's just being able to connect with other people just is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really. and I think, yeah. And I think that's the, the power of the web mm -hmm. right now is to yeah. be able to connect, like, <laughs> especially if you have a disability that is less known and less yeah. visible, and being able to meet with other people with the same experience is mm -hmm. much easier now than it was without internet because definitely we can meet people from everywhere so that's that's helpful and it's true that like dyslexia is much more common than discus dyscalculia so you have more people with that trouble right. with words than there is with trouble with math and i also think it's less diagnosed like the hmm. diagnosis of dyscalculia is even less like it's not necessarily that it, there is less people with it it's less diagnosed I think <laughs> oh definitely I mean because there's a stigma that a lot of people have with learning disabilities a lot of people think when they hear that term mm -hmm. first of all they think that what somebody that somebody can't learn and that's definitely not true. People with them can, they just need a different way to do it. Yeah. And a lot of people are so familiar with dyslexia mm -hmm. that everybody thinks you must have a reading disability. And mm -hmm. my only struggle with reading sometimes is uh, reading comprehension. And it's very, and a little bit of grammar, but it's so slight that you have to know what you're looking for. But mm -hmm. a lot of people have assumed I, I can't read or people, when I hear they, I have a math learning disability. They think, well, do you, uh, oh, you must uh, look at numbers backwards. Yeah. Yeah. That's a and classic, that's, like yeah, 56 or 65 or yeah. Yeah. And that's not the case. It's, uh, uh, just, I'm not able to understand how numbers work. I can't read the face of a clock and left and right's confused, but that's not because I'm reversing things. It's just mm -hmm. my brain cannot uh for some reason just does not understand how math works <laughs> <laughs> yeah I would say mine is a bit like that too but mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's kind of complicated <laughs> right <laughs> and very abstract so yeah I think lots of people and for some reason I think in Norton western culture math is very important for some reason not exactly mm -hmm. sure why and when like it's worse to be bad in math than it is to be bad in language well like so for some reason like it's very important and social status is tied with your capacity mm -hmm. to do math to some extent which right. I, I which yeah, is weird I, but <laughs> <laughs> exactly 
I hear you on that a lot. Yeah. A lot mm. of people just don't. Yep. That, that there is that importance that they have with learning math and how numbers work. And it's, yeah, I, I hear you on that. Mm. And would you say like, it does, is it a problem in your everyday life now? It can present itself to be a challenge, especially if I'm at my job and I, the kids are finding out that I cannot help them with math. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can be that reassuring voice, though, for a child that is struggling and, and to be able to just get them the resources that they need. Uh, it can be hard with uh, everyday things like budgeting. I am mm-hmm. not great at that. Uh, <laughs> it can also be really difficult if I'm at the store and I can't total items. And it's always a surprise when I go to the cash register. And I know that's a surprise now with everybody, but yeah. for me, it's really like, oh. And But what makes it easier is if I use cash, because I can visualize if I have $20, I can visualize the the dollars and the mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. But if you give me a credit card or you give me a debit card, I have, it's more abstract for me yeah. where I just can't, um, yeah. I don't know how much I'm spending. So that's another thing, how much I'm supposed to uh, tip when we go out at a restaurant. So I use uh, my phone for that. Mm-hmm. I'm also, whenever I, I cannot read the face of an analog clock, I mm-hmm. can see the numbers. I can see the, little hand, the big hand, but it just does not make a whole lot of sense to me. So I use my Fitbit or uh, my phone or uh, any other kind of digital. Honestly, I'm I'm wondering if kids these days are still learning how to read on a clock. Like, yeah. Do it, but yes. But now it's also (laughs) one of those things that's (laughs) most of our students. uh, Yeah. Like why? Yeah. They look on their Chromebook. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or they have their watch and yeah that's like why wouldn't they learn that it's like those things that we can we still learn but sometimes it's like do we really need to still learn that like is it useful yeah. anymore <laughs> right we can learn it but I think it's the emphasis on it is one of those things that mm-hmm. I, I think it's changing because I can remember whenever I was growing up I would ask oh what time it is what mm-hmm. time is it and somebody would point to a clock and say well there's a clock over there thinking yes I can see there's a clock there I cannot read it (laughs) but I think now it's just become a way where people can just be able to find other ways to do it Mm -hmm. so if we give them the exposure we say yeah it's there if you can pick it up great if you can't we have some other alternatives to help yeah yeah and is it really like that much of a problem anymore I don't think so like no, when you, it was the only way to know time in the classroom maybe but those days it's not at all <laughs> no it's it's not and I've had people when I would tell them this they would say well can't you get tutoring for it I'm like we've tried <laughs> it hasn't worked and some people were just like amazed at it and yeah. it's like well it 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 is what it is so that's yeah, yeah, but I agree yeah it's really not a necessity for what people are you know doing now with our society mm-hmm. yeah, I also look back when people give that oh a lot of maybe people that are more old school with that yeah. I, I always like to say well they used to use a sundial and back in <laughs> that time we don't do nobody that nobody knows to read that anymore <laughs> yeah nobody knows to read that anymore so I, yeah, I think it's one of those things that 
just as cultures change and then we might Mm -hmm. take a different uh, perspective on somebody that that reads that and if somebody can read an analog clock that's that's wonderful but what I think is a lot of times people love to think or at least is how I feel that they look at certain things with having a disability as a character flaw Mm. Uh, and it's like how you were saying, like, yeah. get, get, like, get tutoring. Yeah, but no, that's not how it works. It's not because I not, didn't try. It's because right. my it, brain just cannot process it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'll, no matter how many times yeah. you try, it's, it's not going to, like, it's not going to come. Like, it's, it doesn't work. It's not, it, it's like, and I think that's one of the things that's really hard with um, invisible disabilities Mm -hmm. or diseases is that people cannot see it like someone would be blind people wouldn't ask someone who's blind or as a like a visual impairment to to see something no we would understand we we definitely would we would know why they couldn't do it and we would be willing to uh, accept that and Mm -hmm. be open to ways to help them yeah but it's basically the same thing like Mm -hmm. you just Yep. And not like your brain cannot process it in the same way as someone who cannot see it. Exactly. It's just that we are not as knowledgeable yet, I would say, with the way brain works. It's very mm-hmm. complicated. Yeah, definitely. We're <laughs> we're learning all kinds of new things. And yeah. Mm, really, okay. yeah. It's it's really interesting too. Um to see how it presents and how it can impact and how you can adapt to it too. Like, um, right. like you said, yeah, with the- cash instead of credit card, for example, which I think would mm-hmm. be, a, it's the same for lots of people. I think most people <laughs> know more <laughs> what they're spending with cash anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's about finding ways that I'm able to adapt mm-hmm. to, to my life. Um, another way that having the disability does affect me is definitely with uh, the fine motor skills. I sometimes I struggle with opening up locks or doors that can be challenging. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes just I've learned how to adapt to a lot of things. Recently Mm -hmm. I was at the grocery store and I was putting my items on the cart and I had a woman that came up to me behind, uh, behind me and she starts helping me unload the cart. And I'm like, Oh, well, well, thank you. And she goes, yeah, I'd like to help people. And you look like you really needed it. And (laughs) it was one of those situations where I definitely, I've learned different ways on how to adapt to to my life. And Mm -hmm. it may look a little different maybe to somebody, but I I can do it. And I just smiled and said, well, God bless you. And (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it, it, sometimes it's a bit uh, uncomfortable situation like that like especially when you know you can totally do it by yourself it's just that your way is different like yeah. a child would would all depend differently than the one that can definitely write correctly yeah like we cannot we don't need to fix it if, since no. it, it works basically but yeah sometimes right. when things are different people think that you need the help yeah. because you're doing things differently Right, exactly. And another way that my visual perception affects me is my eye-hand coordination and my reaction time. When I was in school, uh, it was really, gym class was a nightmare. Every time a ball would come, I would flinch and I was very uncoordinated. 
And playing team sports can be really difficult for me. I like I like to do non-competitive exercise because mm-hmm. I, I do like to be fit and to be active with that. And I'm also not able to drive mm-hmm. because of that. I have you know good vision, but it's very hard for me to be able to have that reaction and to be able yeah. to control everything. And that's um, kind of uh, essential when you drive, of course. Yeah, exactly. That's a, yeah. And in our society, like um, in most places, not driving can definitely be a, a struggle because it's something like it's limiting because lots of CDs are not made for people who cannot drive a car. It, it, exactly. And a lot in, in our country, it is, we have a very limited transportation system. So it is mm-hmm. hard to get around. And some of the alternatives that they have can be very difficult with people with disabilities with some of their uh, paratransit services. Yeah. And does those for like work well? Because I I feel like there's plus like for here anyway, the way it works is great because it takes you from door to door, which common transport doesn't, but Mm -hmm. you might be waiting for it for an hour sometimes. Yep. Waiting for it for an hour or they can come about an hour early. And I, when I used to use that and now I'm really lucky. I live in a central location where I can walk to where I need to go. My husband is wonderful for taking me to work and I have a wonderful coworker that takes me home at the end of the day. And when those things don't work out, I'm able to walk home and Mm -hmm. I, it works out a lot better for me using that. Yeah. And I think that's the important part of like, what we call like um like disability is a social construct because yes. it's related to the environment and when we are in mm-hmm. a, an environment that is not supportive to our disability it becomes very disabling but when the environment is supporting our disability it can almost disappear like you're saying you don't need a car anymore or you have yeah. people driving you around in your daily routine it's just normal like anybody else would carpool like it's just a normal thing to yeah. do um and so then it does like waiting for adaptive transport for an hour is a disabling experience but having, yeah exactly like, running with a coworker is just fun when you're talking you're debriefing mm-hmm. for today the same when you're walking mm-hmm. you're having that space so it's a much more positive experience so yeah I, that's that's great that you like the idea of adapting your reality to something that fits your needs, basically. Right, exactly. And there's also an added bonus to sitting in the passenger seat and walking. Sometimes a photography is another passion of mine. So I get yeah. to notice other details that other people miss because yep. they're driving and I get to see a flower or I get to see something else that's really interesting. And if it's local, or sometimes my husband will pull over <laughs> <laughs> I get that chance to take a picture of a flower and people will say, you bring out details in the flower that other people miss. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I get to share that uh, on my blog and also on other places with social media. And I just, I love doing that. And that's something that I wouldn't have if I was behind mm-hmm. the wheel of a car every day. Yeah, true. And I, I would say like, I can attest because I I am also a photographer and I'm most of the time behind the wheel. And so, so often I'm like, shoot, I would love to take that photo, but I cannot, I'm driving. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it, it's just, the word is different. And I think that ties very well back to um, 
the reality of any like I'm 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 often talking to parents about like finding what their children needs and ways mm-hmm. to support what they need and that works no matter what the reality is be it a disability exactly. or just any challenge um it's fi- adapting things so that it fits their needs um and their reality and then things suddenly are not as hard <laughs> Because right. the environment is supporting you in what you need. And it can be different. Um, it can look like it's not something that is usual. But still, as long as it works, that's what's important. Um, and what would you say, like, it seems that in your life experience, you had a lot of occasion to practice advocating for yourself. And it was mm-hmm. modeled to you by your parents and by some some, some other people mm-hmm. around you. and. Would you say like you learn like in a formal way to advocate for yourself? It was just more by osmosis and some. <laughs> right. I would say that my parents did a lot of advocacy for me when I was younger. And I can remember having my mom was great for explaining my disability to other people and they were accepting. And I thought to myself, oh, I wish I could do that. And mm-hmm. slowly I had to be the one as I became an adult to advocate for myself. Mm-hmm. And that is something that's so important. But I can look back to my parents modeled that for me. My mm-hmm. mom would go to my um, individual education plan meeting and she would say, okay, I'm, I'm headed to your um, IEP meeting. Do you, is there anything that you want me to talk about? Because they didn't include students. Now we include mm-hmm. students when they get older and she would bring the concerns and I got that chance to tell her, but mm-hmm. as an adult, I took that where I found where if I went and talked about having the disability and I advocated for myself and I explained things in positive terms, mm-hmm. like like my parents did, that I had a lot of success with people understanding what my needs were and having that uh, resolution and getting them mad and just a much more positive experience every time I use them. Yeah, for sure. And would you say like in um in learning those skills while growing up, did mm-hmm. you like did you start advocating for yourself only as an adult? Like do you think your parents did it for you like longer than they should? Or because I think it's something that often happened, like when you have a child with some needs, mm-hmm. you will you will continue to support them longer than what society thinks is okay, basically. <laughs> right. My parents have always, are still, uh, I'm really blessed to have them. Sometimes I still do, I'll call them up and say, hey, I have a work concern or uh, <laughs> this, and they're able to give me some pretty good advice on things and just to kind of run some ideas by them. Mm-hmm. But I would say that they really encouraged me to speak up for myself as I became a teenager or okay. as a as a child, they really wanted me to be able to be the one that could speak up for what I needed and mm-hmm. just went through a lot of how, how we do that. And I'm just can't say enough of nice things about uh, <laughs> them showing me how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, and I think that's also normal, like parents yeah. with kids with special needs will, will have to advocate for their right. children longer than what is like, expected normally in high school we expected kids to be basically able to do Mm -hmm. everything on their own and not need their parents to 
um, talk to the school for them. But if you have kids with any kind of special need, <clears throat> that's not necessarily yeah. the case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They will still need some help. Um, yep. So before we uh, we end, I would want to choose and see if there's anything else you would like to share that we didn't touch on. I would definitely love to point people to my blog, Michelle's sure. Mission where I blog about disability related articles and I have a little store where people can buy my artwork. And I also have a disability forum as well, where people can uh, connect with each other. Oh, that's great. So it's um, like people can find people with their the same mm-hmm. disability. That's so what you talked about a lot, like being able to relate to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is there any resources that is, you would like to share also that was u- useful for you in your? Sure. I think um, there's definitely uh, a lot with uh, the Nonverbal Learning Project. That's a, that's definitely one that helps. And uh, Project Eye to Eye, they give a lot of uh, mentoring for people with disabilities. And I'm also involved with a group called All Abilities Media that I also work for on the, the side. And we do a pod cafe where we uh, teach podcasting and, and other interview skills. Uh, a lot of our people that are uh, participate in that have intellectual disabilities or autism, but mm-hmm. we definitely uh, try to be there and uh, have a supportive environment for people with disabilities. Great. That those are very interesting resources. We'll link all of them with along with yours in the show notes. So thank you very much for being with. Uh, us today um, was a very nice meeting you and learning more about your story. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I certainly appreciate it. I'm so glad you joined me today and took that time out of your intense life to focus on finding a new way to parent that works for you and your kids. To get the episodes as soon as they drop, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please leave a rating and review so other parents can find it too. Also, check out all the free resources on my website at familymoments.ca so you can take action on what's the most important for you right now. And take a deep breath, keep going. We're all in this together.